Okay, shalom, shalom. I'm very, very excited. Hi, Jeannie. I'm very excited to have you all here to learn Torah together. Uh, today is the, the last class for this term. We're going to hopefully, with God's help, restart the first week in February. And everybody should enjoy. Um, I mean, that means you can study Torah, you know, without me, of course. Uh, but um, in terms of classes. So I'm going to try to fit in as much as I can today. I hope we can cover a lot of things. We have a very uh, special sponsorship today. Today is a refuah shlima to Avraham ben Salcha Aliza. Somebody very, very special to us and to all of us. And we should have a refuah shlima. Bekarov, strong. And continue the very good work that this, uh, this individual does for all of us, to his family, and to Am Yisrael. Amen. Okay, we're ready to roll. Here we go. Jeannie, you're dressed in black today. What's going on? You're getting all religious on me. <laughs> okay, guys, I want to revisit something we ended with last week, just to touch on something that somebody actually asked me this question. Uh, one of my students actually asked me this question. So I'd love to share it with you. Uh, it, it's the story of last week when Moshe Rabbeinu was at the SNE. I just want to touch upon it again. And then we're going to move into probably the most important people in the world. Who are the most important people in the world? What is the answer to that question? Who are the most important Women. people? Women. All right, Eleanor. I want to tell you something. Eleanor has got a play. I don't know, man. Eleanor's got the sheet. She knows it all. All right, yes. Uh, I, I don't ask that question, Elmo, when I have a men's class. You know that. I, I don't ask that question. What do you say when you teach men? But I, well, they don't give me the answer that you just gave me. You understand? <laughs> yeah. Okay, so we're not going to discuss that. But uh, we're going to talk about ladies in a minute. But let's just do this first. Let me share a screen. I, I have to take it from a lot of different places today, so be a little uh, patient with me. Okay, here we go. Uh, so this is what we did. Ended One of the things we ended the last week is Moshe Rabbeinu. Uh, his revelation on, on it was on Har Sinai actually at the Sneh. And he said, by Yomer, and Hashem said to him, Don't come close. Shal na'alecha ma'araglecha. He told him to take off his shoes. Because what you're standing on is Admat Kodesh, is holy land. And we already said a nice Peru, she told him to take off his shoes because of um, don't take off his shoes because. Uh, he wanted him to feel and to be sensitive to the needs of others because that's what we said last week. Let's stop for a minute about the shoe business, okay? Uh, we don't want to mess with women because shoes are the very important part of their existence. But we have mixed messages when it comes to shoes, wearing shoes, in Judaism. And I want to share it with you, okay? So here we go. Share screen. And let's go to, let's go to this. Let's go to this. Here we go. Okay, you ready? Being aware of the pair that we wear, I thought that was kind of cute, okay? I didn't make that up. It came from uh, one, of the, one of the websites. Interestingly, according to Jewish law and tradition, it is preferable that a person walk around with some separation between the foot and the ground. Even someone who is required by Jewish law to wear, not to wear leather shoes, such as a mourner, ever forbid, should still wear socks, slippers, or something similar when he walks around. The importance of wearing shoes is best recorded in the Gemara. One should always sell even the beams of his house to buy shoes for his feet. It is degrading, explain the commentaries, for a person to walk barefoot in public. So what do we got so far? Oh, one second, let me move you guys so I could do this. So what do we got? We have that Judaism basically dictates that shoes are important. 
should not walk around with bare feet. It's not a good thing. And yet, in the Bet HaMikdash of all places, right? You would think, right? In the Bet HaMikdash, I don't know if you're aware, Kohanim did not wear shoes. Did you guys know that? Visitors who came to the Bet HaMikdash at the time of the Bet HaMikdash, when we were allowed to go, we were pure. Visitors on Har Habayit had to take their shoes off. I don't know if you know, I know some of the Ashkenazim know, I don't know if all the Sfardim do it, when our Kohanim go up to say Birkat Kohanim, did you ever notice? I don't know if you saw it from the ladies section. Anybody ever see that? They take their shoes off. Did you guys notice that? You never noticed. Next time you go to shul, and especially in the Ashkenaz shul, where they always do it just on the holiday on Yom Tov, you'll notice that they take their shoes off. Yes. And the lithium wash their hands. Correct, correct. But they take their shoes off in... In, 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 to symbolize the fact that when they did the Avodah. So that's a different message, right? Okay, let's go. Uh, it is not so, however, when, was, when one was present in the Holy Temple in ancient Jerusalem. Everyone present was required to remove their shoes. A place of such holiness obligated it to... Blah, blah, blah. So it doesn't make sense. So what is it? Is the wearing of shoes degrading? Not degrading here. Yes, degrading there. The answer is simple, ladies. It's such a simple answer, and it's really nice to share with your fam. The solution lies in interesting detail of Moshe, and they quoting our Pasuk, where the Almighty, during his famous encounter of the burning bush, right, before anything was discussed, Moshe was commanded, take off your shoes, right, off, take the shoes off your feet, because the place in which you stand is holy ground. Same thing was told Yehoshua, if you remember that, in Yehoshua, when a Malach visited Yehoshua, he told him to take his shoes off because the ground is holy. So what's the answer, right? Here is the answer. You ready? A separation is necessary as a reminder to constantly be detached from earthliness. And the difference is, in essence, the ground, the earth upon which we treat, tread, Shoes provide a separation between a human being and the earth. Spiritually, a separation is necessary as a reminder to constantly be detached from earthliness. When in a holy environment, however, there is no need to separate between mankind, the earth, in fact, yada, yada. So let me just explain that really well. Okay, you ready? Here we go. And this is such a nice thing to share. The reason why the rabbis want us to wear shoes is that we have to realize that we are above physics. That's not our goal. Our goal in life is to separate ourselves from Gashmiut. The earth represents Gashmiut, okay? That's just physical existence, not, not, not uh, spiritual. As a matter of fact, I don't mean to be, you know, a little morbid, but God forbid, when the person passes away, where do they put the goof? the goof goes back to the ground because the ground is physical existence. This body is physical existence. So when we walk around the world, the rabbis, the Jewish religion, want us to wear shoes. They didn't say you have to buy $500 shoes from fancy stores. That the Gemara doesn't say. But you do have to wear shoes. However, when the environment itself is holy, when the environment itself is holy, which is the Beit HaMidash, which is the Har Sinai, which is a holy place, 
then we indicate that by here, I don't need the shoes because the holy environment already represents the fact that I am a spiritual person. Nice, right? Very simple. Somebody now tell me that's why we do blank on blank. Let's go. Come on, guys. Shoot. Hey, Eleanor, man. That's it. Eleanor. 1600 on SAT. Yes. That now explains to me, girls, why we don't wear shoes on Yom Kippur. Because Yom Kippur supposedly, right, is a day when the entire world is elevated into a spiritual essence. And we represent that. We're holy. We're malachim. We're not treading on physical, right? Very nice. Very nice. Does anybody else know about feet and malachim? What else do we do that at that moment we are spiritual like a malach? Last we have one. our feet together. We have Very feet together. good. Wow, what a class today. All right, everybody's getting 100 on the final, on the Zoom. Yes, very good. It's got nothing to do with shoes, Mrs. Samada, but she hit that nail on the head. Why do we put our feet together for the Amidah, but even more, what's the name of the prayer that we put our feet together to? It's called Kedusha. Kedusha. Kedusha, because Kedusha, at that moment, we are symbolizing the fact that we're angels. We put our feet together because Yecheskel in his Nevoah saw the image of a Malach that he had like, sort of like, one foot. Okay, so that's the whole foot shoe business. I just wanted to clear it up. Before I leave this pasuk, I want to remind you of a phenomenal question. I now actually have the quote. I told you I have a little more time. I found the person who asked the question, and the answer is absolutely beautiful. And then we'll move on to the, um, the theme of the day, which is women. Okay, let's just go back to that pasuk one more time, one last time. Ready? So the question says... Right? He says, don't come close. This question you should ask yourself. This is asked by the Orach, or, or, let me just write it down. Orachayim, right? Orachayim asked this question. Ready? It's a, it's a question you would have asked. Hashem gave two instructions not to come closer, to remove his shoes, because even the site on which Moshe was standing, which is Har Sinai, at that moment was holy ground, which means even, which means Har Sinai was already holy before. Nice. Question, why did Hashem not instruct Moshe to remove his shoes before he had accidentally stepped on holy ground wearing shoes, right? And at that time, Hashem could have warned Moshe not to step. That's a great question. Or Chaim asked, right? You might remember this one, which means if Hashem didn't want Moshe to step on the area of Har Sinai with his feet, why is he waiting to tell him this where he's already there and he's making the problem, right? You're making, you're making Moshe feel guilty. So what was the message here? He should have said, Moshe, wait, you know, big sign. Don't get closer. Shoes not allowed. Excellent question. Give me a nod that we like the question. You want to hear an unbelievable answer? Anybody want to pick it up? No? Jeannie, I'm looking at you. It wasn't holy till he went there. Why? Because he's a holy dude. Oh, okay. All right. Well, talking about holy dudes, we got an answer from holy dude. The answer is what you said, Ricky, but I want to show you how it works. It's amazing. It's based on the pasuk before. 
Yafema odd. This is such a very nice brick. Right. The Pasuk before this is Pasuk hey. The Pasuk before Vayar Hashem Kisar wrote, Hashem saw that Moshe stopped what he was doing and he was interested in seeing what's going on. That alone, meaning that he he noticed something, right? People go through life not noticing, but here's the key. Vayikra Elav Elokim Hashem calls him. Vayomer Moshe, Moshe. We can discuss another time why double, but of course, what's Moshe's response? Vayomer Hineni. And we all know what Hineni means. Hineni means I am ready, willing, and able. I am yours. I'm ready to do whatever you want me to do. If a person says Hineni, now Hashem says to him, take your shoes off. Ki Masher Ata Omer Alav. Admat Kodesh who the, the place that you're standing now, like Ricky just said, became holy because he made it holy. And therefore, I heard this in the name of Rabbi Trank, the rabbi I always talk about from Just Love Them, that it's our job in this world to walk around and make the place holy by undertaking certain things to do in life. Very nice. So that's our job. Let's go to women. Okay. The entire story of Yitziat Mitzrayim is laced with the fact that we owe a tremendous debt of gratitude to ladies. I'm going to run through some of this because I, I think this is the most important part of these parshiyot, just to highlight a few and then to get to a main point. You ready? So let's move fast. That's what we're going to do. Here we go. Yep. Here we go. So our sages tell us that the merit of the righteous women, our ancestors, who were redeemed from Egypt. It was the women who never despaired of Hashem's redemption. In fact, while the men had lost heart and were dejected, had no desire to procreate, not wanting to subject their children to the hardships of slavery, the women were upbeat, confident that a better day was soon to come. They seduced their husbands in the fields and raised a generation. In Hebrew, we say, nashim nigalu Let me repeat that. in the merit of nashim tzitzkaniot. But what part of nashim tzitzkaniot? Like what? Their faith, their ability not to give up, their ability to say there will be a better day, or let's focus it, emuna. The emuna of a woman is what kept Klal Yisrael existence. You got it. Let's make the famous connection to what else happened. And I hope that you re might remember some of it, but the new stuff I hope you like. Here we go. Something very important happens, not in this week's Parsha, but Erab and Parshat Bo. A very important um, mitzvah that Hashem gave to Moshe and Aaron, which was the first time that it happened during Yitziat Mitzrayim. And, of course, it affects us today. We all know this. I hope you know this. Right before they left Mitzrayim, he gives B'nai Israel, I'm sorry, and us a mitzvah. The lunar cycle. Everybody knows that Rosh Hashanah is in Tishrei. But everybody knows that Rosh HaChadashim, right? Ask any Jewish yeshiva student, what is the first month of the year? What is the answer? Nisan. Nisan. Nisan is the first month. It's not strange. We count the years by Tishrei, 
based on Briyat HaOlam, according to many, many rabbis, but we count the Chodashim. And when the Torah gives us a number, when they say the seventh month, the seventh month in the Torah is Tishrei, when it talks about Rosh Hashanah. But the first month is Nisan. Hashem decided to give. Now, there's many, many, many deep, deep explanations to that. By the way, one of the explanations, again, I'm trying to get everything in today because it's our last one. I don't know if you remember, we had a whole discussion about what the ego was. It was, it was a study of the stars. The, I don't know if you guys remember that to But the bottom line is the Egyptians worshipped the stars. What animal was the Avodah Zara of the Egyptian? Cow. Sheep. The sheep. The sheep. The cow was too, dav- too busy davening Musaf. Right. It was. <laughs> okay, I had to get that in. Yeah. Okay, it was. Just be patient with me, Gene. Yeah, okay, here we go. Yeah, the sheep. They didn't eat the sheep, they were vegetarian. And that's why. What was the korban before they left Mitzrayim? Korban what? Pesach was a, a sheep. Yeah, slaughter the sheep, put the blood on the door, break that. Does anybody know what symbol of which month is the sheep or the goat in horoscope? Nisan. Aries, right, Aries, Aries. It's my birthday. I'm an Aries, right. Nissan. Okay, now you know my birthday. You're not getting the dates. Yes, but Nissan. So Nissan, Hashem is saying to Bnei Israel, it is a new beginning now, right? Nissan is our month. It's not their month. It's our month. Okay. So we started the lunar calendar, which we use till today, girls. Till today. The Jewish calendar is, that is why we're going crazy this year, right? Rosh Hashanah was like the first week, and now Pesach is going to be whenever it is. Lunar calendar. Okay. Everybody knows, besides what I just told you, that was a lesson for them about breaking the Abu Dazara of Egypt. Everybody should know the other lessons. Come on. Who remembers before I say, what lessons, why do the Jewish people go with the lunar calendar. Why is the moon important to us? Come on, girls, you know this. Two reasons. I'll one, take... reason one reason is because it waxes and wanes, which is the right. Jewish way. Very, that... good. Very good, very good. So the next, Erica, wow. Hi, Erica. Oh, what a treat. One reason is because, okay, I can't be distracted here. Right, lunar calendar. Right, the moon grows, it's full, Wayne, well, you said it better than they said it. It remains invisible for approximately two days, and then it comes and reappears. So, very important. Hashem's message is that this is the way Jewish life goes. To all of us, even on a personal way, let's all take it to heart. The Jewish nation's history sometimes is strong and sometimes is less. God forbid, I don't run the world, but God says it'll get better. It'll always grow back. Jewish people are always going to be existence. Our personal life should be the same. Maybe sometimes it's a little tough. Maybe sometimes it's a little easier, but God says it's a cycle and things will get better. Very nice. Second reason. The second reason is a pasuk in Tehillim. Sorry, in Navi. The second reason is that the moon doesn't have its own. uh, uh, It is a reflection of the sun. What does that have to do with me? Let's get to that pasuk, girls. If somebody says to you, what's the major job you have in this world? Quote Yeshayahu. 
says Yeshayahu, Unitaticha leor hagoyim. I will make you the light of nations. Let's do that one more time. Maybe you think that sounds like we're big shots. No. You know what it means to be the chosen people? The chosen people is that Hashem chose us. Why did he choose us? Possibly because he saw Abraham Avinu. I don't know. Last time God spoke to me wasn't last night. So all I know is he chose us to be the Or Lagoyim. We're supposed to teach. We're supposed to be the role model to the rest of the world of what values are, of what goodness is of what fairness is and what honesty is and what spirituality is. So the moon, and Hashem said, I'm taking you out of Egypt. This is what I want you to be, says Hashem. Believe in me that you'll have your ups and downs and understand that your job is to be either or like you. Everybody got that? Now I'm going to make a little bit of a transfer. You ready? What is the day holiday of the new moon called? Now, who's, you know this next one, but then let's make the connection after that. Whose holiday is considered Rosh Chodesh? Women's holiday. Let's hear it for the women. Sorry, Ricky. Let's hear it for the women. Yeah. So everybody knows women and Rosh Chodesh. The Rebbe continues to explain that all of Judaism is based on strong faith, right? Right? Is the women who did that, and Rosh Chodesh celebrates the renewal, and is the and therefore it's a woman holiday. So listen to Rabbi Besser carefully. That means why is Rosh Chodesh a woman's holiday? Why? For the two reasons I just told you, which means the women's role in this world is to tap into their unbelievable Ebuna like they did in Mitzrayim. That's why Hashem chose the Rosh Chodesh to be for women. Because again, what's the goal of the fact of the lunar calendar? To have faith that even when things are tough, we don't lose faith. Who has that ability? Women more than men. That's it. And second, second, what's the goal of the moon? Or Lagoim. Who's the guy here? Me. The man is the guy. The women's job in this world is to be an or to everybody else, like they were in Mitzrayim. And that's why Rosh Chodesh is a woman holiday. Because, girls, don't take this bad. You are the moon, babe. That's who you are. Because you are the koach of Ebunah, the koach of Hitchachut, and the koach of or to me. So in life, I do nothing. I just watch you. How's that? All right, so it doesn't, doesn't sound believable. <laughs> it's not believable? Absolutely. The only way a man gets inspiration is from the women in the world. Any women disagree with that? Raise your hand. I don't see any hands coming up at all, except for Ricky. No, I'm kidding. Then you, then you have a true way That's true. That's true. We don't, that, that's the secret. Everybody, every, the secret is that the guy's got to know who to get. That's, that's true. That's true. But all right. No, but I'm serious now, girls. But do you see how everything fits together? It's all Yitziat Mitzrayim. It's when Hashem chose that. Okay. Let's run through some women that we know very quickly. And we'll take it from there. Here we go. Okay. Okay. So the first one is the Mialdot. All right. We come across in the beginning of the story of Yitziat Mitzrayim, which we learned that this was last week. Hashem calls the two Mialdot, Ha'ivriot, right? One is called Shifra and one is called Puah. Okay, since you went to school, who are Shifra and Pua? 
Some people said that that's when Shifra Hannon got her first job, but that's not true. I mean, I can see Shifra Hannon being in charge of all the babies. That makes sense, but it's not. So you learned in elementary school that it was Yocheved and Miriam. In about three minutes, I'm going to tell you that two great rabbis totally disagree with you. All right, but we'll get that for a second. But let's assume that they're Yocheved and a thing, and of course, he called them in to kill the babies. Okay, I have to tell you, what Rabbi Tversky says, it's very famous, let's do it here. He says, right? Oh, by the way, I'm sorry, let's go back. So, right? Can I already put a, a, a bug in your head that it might not be Yocheved and Miriam? If you tell me it's Yocheved and Miriam, this pasuk needs explanations. Melchizedek Paro said to the Miyaldot Ha'ivriot. What does that mean? The Jewish midwife. That's two meanings. Oh, you're saying that, right? Asher Shema Chat Shifra, the Shema Shanipua. Eleanor, can I ask you a question? If it's Yocheved and Miriam, there's no need to say they are the Miyaldot Ha'ivriot. We know they're Jewish. It's it's Yocheved and and, uh, and uh, Miriam. Fair, fair question. So if you're going to play a little bit with the pasuk, it doesn't work that well that it was Yocheved and Miriam. But right now we're going to stick with that. That it was Yocheved and Miriam. It's the Egyptian women. Oh, hang in there, hang in there, hang in there. One second. Right now we're going with Rebison Eleanor's Pedush. Her Pedush comes before all the other rabbis because she's the Or Lagoyim, right? Got it? Okay, here we go. So I just want to tell you what Tversky said. This is very famous. I'll do this fast because I have a lot to say, guys. We're not leaving today. He says... Again, it refers to the Ivriot, and you see that they're what? That they're having a baby in Benhu. If it's a child, kill him. A terrible thing, right? The midwives, however, feared God. And they did not do what the king of Egypt said. And not only did they not kill them, but they made them, even if they were, God forbid, a little sick, they made them even 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 stronger. So we see right away <coughs> the unbelievable misirut nefesh of women. You got it? I, I want you to go deep with me for a second. Rabbi Dr. Tversky, as you all know, is, is, uh, was, I'm sorry, was, he's very special man, was a psychologist, right? Ready? He asked a basic question that I didn't know. Listen carefully. Ready? He says, the Torah says, remember, this is the Torah, Hashem is talking, that the Jewish women, these two women, batirena et elokim. What, what, what is that? What midah is that? That's yirat elokim, fear of God, right? So they feared God. They had a tremendous level of fear of God. And that's why they didn't kill the children. Listen to me carefully. This is very deep. Asks Rabbi Dr. Tversky, who said it's fear of God? If somebody would ask a very good person who doesn't have a fear of God, Kill babies. Can you see that person saying, I can't do that? I can see that. It, it, it could be coming from the goodness of a person's heart, right? Erica the doula, right? Can you imagine telling a doula not to do their job? Erica, you wouldn't listen to them, right? She can't talk because she just said that he let dying. <laughs> okay. All right. You guys with me? It, it's an interesting insight. It's deep. Deep and uh, hi, Eric. Deep and listen carefully. Again, his question is, 
Why is God or the Torah, which is God, saying that their level of, 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 of holiness was that they had fear? Maybe they had compassion, a compassionate person. Listen to him very carefully. He says, that's why women are the essence of Emunah. Listen, this is tough. We know of such stories in the Holocaust. If somebody was told, go kill the babies, I don't know if you guys remember this. If they say, we're not killing the babies, what would Paro do? They have a meeting with each other. Shifra and Pua are talking. We're not going to listen to Paro. What's Paro going to do to us? Kill them. Kill them. And what's going to happen after they're out? Somebody else, the somebody else is going to kill the babies, right? So if you think about it from a compassionate point of view, right? Or from a non-faith point of view, not believing in God, right? I might come to a conclusion and say, wait, 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 wait. Let me stay here. Maybe kill one baby, save five. Think about what happened in the Holocaust. It's not that simple. It's not that simple, right? Maybe do this and then be able to take care. And there, maybe the compassion of a person takes over. I'm, 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 I'm going to cross the line now. You ready? I'm going to cross the line. Maybe the compassion of a person says an, a, 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 an elderly person who's on a uh, who's on who's you know who's who's plugged in with with you know uh, things in the hospital. Maybe the compassion in me would say pull the plug. That would be the compassion. Maybe the compassion is take a person out of their misery. But a person who's yirat elokim, did you get it? Listen to what he's saying. A person who believes in God, a person who knows the lunar calendar, that right now things are bad, but I don't run the world. Hashem runs the world. What do I do? I do what God says. I don't care. That's yirat elokim. How beautiful. Was that understood? Maybe I didn't explain that too well. Fantastic. So it's not mine, it's Tversky. So Rabbi Dr. Tversky is saying that we're talking about the greatness of the faith of the women of Yeratolokim. Okay, so that's her. Let me just do this for a sideshow, because the truth is I don't want to get into if they were or weren't. I happen to like, and I agree, because I also learned in elementary school that it was, uh, it was Shifra Pua. But you should know, Yehuda Hasid, that's a very famous man. He lived from 1150 to 1217. He says it implies that the midwives were actually Egyptian. I don't want to fight about this, but that's what he claims. He claims that they were Egyptians. It was not Yochevet. It was not Miriam. And they uh, knew, they, uh, knew, they converted. Okay, The Yambar Benel also says that. He says that they were not Hebrews, right? He, the Yambar Benel says that if they were Jewish, how did Paro think that they could you know, actually what? Actually listen to them. So these two great rabbis, the Abarbanel and Rabbi Yehuda Hasid, they don't accept the fact that it was it was the Yochevet and Miriam. Now let me just go back to the pasuk and see how it looks better according to them. The the midwives of the Jewish people. You understand? Not that they were Jewish. And again, he refers to those Jewish people. That's what they do. Okay, so let's not make a big deal. Okay, the next lady, we know this. I, I just have to not, uh, you know, not skip it because she deserves credit. Everybody knows this. In last week's Parsha, it says, Vayelich Ishmi Bet Levi, a man from the Shevet of Levi, went and he 
and he, he married the daughter of Levi. And they had their child, and the child, of course, was who? Was Moshe. Moshe. Why doesn't it say their names, by the way? Why doesn't it say their names? We, they had a name. What's the father's name? Amram. Amram. And Yocheved, by the way, Yocheved, sounds like a rapper. Yocheved was a daughter of Levi. Okay. Why doesn't it say its name? Quick. Anybody? What do I learn from that? You know what I learned from that, according to Rabbi Tversky? Anybody can be a Moshe. Anybody can be a Moshe. Makes no difference who your parents are. You don't have to have your father as the Rosh Hashiva to be a Rosh Hashiva. You don't have to have the mother who is Mother Teresa in order to be a Mother Teresa. Any person with no name can end up. That's the beauty of Judaism. Okay, I thought that was cute. That's not mine. Everybody knows. So why does it say that they got married? Come on, girls, you know this. Why does it say they got married? Which number child is Moshe? Which number child? Number three. So they're already married. So everybody knows the Rashi ring that they were uh, Amram. You have to understand Amram was the head. He was the Rosh Yeshiva. He was the chief rabbi in Mitzrayim. He made a decision because he was a man. You see? He made a decision that since Paro is killing the boys, no more children. That's it. Everybody's separated from their wives. Who changed his mind? Miriam. Miriam. That's amazing. But again, same, same quality. Do you understand? Miriam is saying to the men, the or lagoyim, our job is to follow God. Our job is not to make different plans because things are difficult. That's not the way it works. Got it. Okay. Little fact that you might not know that the rabbis talk a lot about. Before I show you the Rashi, anybody want to take a guess or do you know? How old was Yocheved when she gave birth to Moshe? She was more than 100. She was more than 100. 120. 30. 30, 30, 30. 30, 30. 30. You give her another 10 years, honey. 130. So a lot of the rabbis, which I'm not going to really address, say the Torah goes bananas on who when she had a baby at what age? Sarah. Sarah has a baby at 100. And like it's all over the New York Times, right? It's all over the Torah. She's 130, God bless her, when she has Moshe and not a peep. It sounds like the difference between Fox and CNN on certain uh, coverages, you know, like why she got no coverage. I don't know why, but they, 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 go, they go a little crazy on it. They say that it was a lot of miracles anyway then, but just a little fact to put in your sleeve that the girl was 130 when she had Moshe. Okay, who's my next heroine? And then I'm yeah. going to go into something very big a heroine that doesn't get a lot of credit, and she deserves the most credit. All right, here That's we go. Yes. And we know. She has the baby, they put the baby in the Nile, right, to, uh, on, on a little boat, right? She went down to bathe with her women, and she saw the teva, and she sends her Amma, which is her female. Uh, right. So everybody knows that one because I do that every year. So I don't want to go too much. Here again, the Koach of women. Girls, are you sensing the entire theme here? Everybody knows that the, the basket was very far. The word Amma also means hand. She stretched her hand, and the Midrash says that it stretched. I say it every year. I don't know if it actually stretched. Oh, Hashem saw her effort and he brought it close. But bottom line again, what do we see? What we see is the women's quality is, I can't reach it. That's not my problem. I have to do my efforts. I have faith 
This is what I'm supposed to do. Is it going to work out? Jeannie, does it always work out? No. It always works out. I am quoting Rebbitz and Jeannie Zerda. It always works out. Nobody argue with her. And yes, and that's what Bat Parotid. The fact that you might not know, which I told you, I think, two years ago. Here it goes. Ready? The, the, the Mishle. In Mishle, we have Eshet Chayil. Everybody knows what Eshet Chayil is. And on this pasuk, she gets up in the middle of the night, and she gives food to her household. And Eshet Chayil got up in the middle of the night. You got it? You ready? According to inter one interpretation of our sages in Women of Valor, Eshet Chayil, composed by King Solomon, refers to a uniquely outstanding woman in history. Two of them is Batya and Rachav. Rachav we'll talk about later. Were a woman who converted to Judaism as adults. Batya, daughter of Paro, converted to Judaism. Both came from terrible cultures and, and, and converted. Says the Gemara that Batya set out one morning to immerse herself in the Nile in order to convert to Judaism. Oh my God. So if you look back at the Pasuk, Nothing in Torah is for nothing. But Tered Bat Parol Lirchotz Alayaor. Ask the always the question we ask. Who cares why she went down there? Actually, it's a little inappropriate. You're telling me that she's going to take a bath? Who cares? She's not going to take a bath. She's going down to convert to Judaism. And according to most rabbis, because of her tremendous girls, can you just try? Well, let me get you because I want to see your faces. Can you understand this is the daughter of Paro? If you're talking about somebody who went off the derech, man, Batya went off the derech. She went way off her father's derech. Her father's the man who wants to destroy Judaism, and Batya converts. And because she converted, and because she showed the effort, she got the schut of saving Moshe, and then she got even a bigger schut. And what's the biggest schut that Batya got? Girls, come on, give it to me. Save Moshe. That, yes, and say it again. Hello, I'm sorry, I missed it. She saved Moshe, and therefore the Jewish people. Right, she saved Moshe. I'm with you. Yes, correct. she named Moshe. And he really named him. Is that the you? name? Who's that? Yeah. that? Gloria. Yeah. Yes. Very good. Actually, she didn't name Moshe. Was named before Moshe was born right. three months ago. You don't think they gave him a name? Of course, they gave him a name. They had to put him on the list in order to get government funding. So, what name was he given? Avigdor. Anybody know what name he was given? Are there like six names? Six names, yes. One is Avigdor, one is Tuvia. Tuvia, right, Tuvia. So he had a name. So what does it mean? Wait a minute. So we call him Moshe. God calls him Moshe to snap. Moshe, Moshe. He picks the name of an Egyptian convert over Miriam. I'm sorry, over Yochevet. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. That's Hashem's lesson. I'm going to call him Moshe because that name came from a very special woman who did unbelievable efforts to become Jewish and to save you. Amazing. Everybody got it? But it's the same theme. Now I'm going to switch a little oars. I want to tell you, I don't, I don't, I don't want to take away what I said. Yes, that Hashem chose Moshe as the name over the other names in order to give credit to, I'm not taking that away. I want to add something. Ready? We're going to go. Am I going too fast? Because I really want to get a lot in. We're good? Okay. Watch carefully. Why is he called Moshe? Ki, let me just show you. Ki min hamayim 
right? There it is. Because I drew him out from the water. So though Moshe had seven names, right? Hashem rewarded Bacha. Very nice. Very nice. Okay. Let me go back to you now. So some people, first of all, I heard a very nice perush. Okay, let's skip that one. But let's go to a deeper one. What was the, we, we discussed last week that Moshe showed that he had tremendous empathy. Got it. And that was important. I throw out this question. Every person on the Zoom knows the answer. What is or was the most outstanding midah of Moshe Rabbeinu? Go. Anav. He was an Anav. Ah, very good, Esther. Yes, very good. Very good. Right? Moshe's outstanding leadership quality that made Hashem want to choose him was his humility. And how do I know that? How do I know that? Give me a second. Now I got to go to my, all my other things, guys. So hang in there. And there it is. In Parshat Beha Where is this? It says, this is, I'm sorry? No? This is when Moshe, this is when, everybody all right here? I lost you guys. Okay, there it is. Okay. This is when uh, Miriam spoke Lashon Hara about Moshe. So Hashem is testifying to us, to the Torah. Moshe Anav Me'od Mikol Ha'adam Asher Moshe is tremendously humble. Jeannie, uh, do you remember you discussed with me what's called humility? Remember? And remember we discussed, I think it was last week or two weeks ago, that you believe that everything comes from Hashem. Remember? Okay. Now listen carefully. What brings a person to be humble? It's not so easy. Look, look at the look at a lot of you, all of you on the Zoom. You're bright, you're you're very successful, you do great jobs and things, you pull off unbelievable programs, you have great families. It's tough to be humble, right? What is the strongest thought process? Because humility comes from the thought, right? Thought and heart. What brings me to humility? So I'd like to prove it from another humble person. And now you'll hopefully agree with me why Moshe, why Hashem chose the name Moshe. Ready? Another person who's known as very humble. There were three people that the Chazal say were humble. Abraham, Moshe, and David. By the way, if you like that, it says, if you like these Hasidic little nuances, it says, Vaish Moshe, Anav, right? Mikol, Ha'adam. Aleph is Abraham. Dalit is David, Mem is Moshe. So of the three, he was the most. Okay, I don't know if you like these kind of cute things. I want to show you what two words in the Torah show us that Abraham was humble. Where does it come from? Moshe was easy. Hashem is saying it. Hashem is giving testimony. Does anybody know? Yeah, Eleanor. Oh my God, this woman. Absolutely. Here we go. Where you go, Eleanor. So we're going to go back to, I got to find Genesis. There it is. There's Genesis. Okay, this is when Hashem, Abraham was beseeching from God not to destroy uh, Sidon. We all remember the story, right? He, you know, he's, he's like sort of challenging Hashem, right? Abraham says, I am trying to speak to you, God, and uh, your God. I am dust and I am ashes. 
And therefore, says the Gemara, Avraham was very, very humble. If you're running the guidance department at the yeshiva of Flatbush, and the teacher asks the student, write something about yourself. And the student writes, I am dust and ashes. What do you think the guidance department is going to do about that? Call the suicide hotline. I <laughs> love you, Ellen. Absolutely. That's, are you kidding? A kid is going to write, this is me. And he puts an X through him. That's not humility. That's a sick child. So you're going to tell me that Abraham Avinu said, I'm, I'm nothing, I'm dust, I'm ashes? Says Rashi. That's why we have a Rashi. Look at Rashi. Says Rashi right there. Anochi afar ba'efer. I am but dust and ashes. I would long ago have been reduced to dust by the kings and to ashes by Nimrod had it not be that Hashem stood by me. Avraham Avinu girls is looking through his life. He had two major, major physical crises in his life. The first one, which is not recorded in the Torah. Come on, everybody knows this story. Or Kastim. Or Kastim. Right? He was Nimrod, forced him to bow down. And what did Abraham do? He was thrown into the furnace. Girls, it was a miracle. A miracle. The fact that he's alive is a miracle. And the second miracle is, this is recorded. I'm sure you remember when Lot was captured and he was in Sodom. You guys remember this a little bit? Right? And Mo, no, four kings, five kings? I hope so. Yeah. You know. So Avram Avinu took up the war and he went up against tremendous odds. So what is Avram saying? Listen to me, girls. Avram woke up every morning and said, I'm alive? Wow. I should have been afar. I should have been buried because God saved me. I'm alive? I should have been ashes. That's not suicidal. That's humility when you walk around saying that by the fact that I'm up and I'm breathing, I need to thank God. Therefore, it's not about me. Me, I'm a good basketball player. I wouldn't even be here if not for God. Me, I'm a great cook. I wouldn't be able to cook if not for God. Me, I'm the smartest person. I play the piano. I'm genius. All from God. That's humility. Agreed? Now let's go. Finish this up for me. Why did Hashem choose the name Moshe, because what does the word Moshe mean? I pulled you out of the water. You shouldn't have been here, Moshe. You would have been like the other thousands of children who, God forbid, were not saved. Moshe got up every morning and he said, the fact that I'm alive is a miracle from God. I'm a walking miracle. And when you're a walking miracle, you are humble. Case made? Okay. I think I'm screaming more than usual today. Maybe because I'm just very excited to see. Yes. And therefore, I believe that Hashem chose the word Moshe. I'm going to go into Shalom Bias now. I need to do this. Not because I need, well, first of all, I need to because I've been home for the last three weeks. So let's talk about Shalom Bias. But, <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, let's, that's a miracle, by the way. Okay, so, <laughs> big miracle. Um, I have to do something that's at the end of this week's parsha that I love to do, but it's so beautiful, and please share it, and it's seven minutes to two, so here we go. Listen carefully. So in the place where Hashem said that Moshe 
is the most anav, right? Very nice, he is. He continues to say, and therefore, no, I think, no, it goes, yes, yes. He continues to tell uh, Aaron and Miriam, there he goes, right? Why Moshe is different than any other prophet, which means he's trying to tell Aaron and Miriam, how do you dare think that Moshe would make decisions on his own? We're not going to discuss what the Lashonara was. We'll do it another time. It wasn't that bad, by the way. In that discussion, one of my favorite psukim ever. He says that when Hashem speaks to other Nevi'im, he only speaks to them in a chalom, even Avraham, even Yitzchak, in a dream. But Hashem speaks to Moshe, pe'el peh, but this pasuk, lo kein avdi Moshe, bechol beiti ne'eman hu, lo kein avdi Moshe, what does that mean? He is trusted throughout my house. The most beautiful perush I ever heard about this is the following. The Gemara says that Hashem says, anybody who's a Baal Gava, Baal Gava, the opposite of humble, anybody who's got an ego, right? There is no place for him and me in the same spot. What's the Gemara says? Look how beautiful Hashem describes Moshe. He is always trusted in my house. Why? Because he has no ego. Because he is humble. That's why Hashem says, I trust this person. Because his decisions are not made based on his ego. He is humble. He is appreciative for everything he has, and therefore you can trust his decisions. How are we doing so far? Very good. So you, I hope you know where I'm going. We have a beautiful tradition. I don't know, but actually, interestingly, I found it in a Sephardic sitter. What is our tradition? We have a tradition. Oh, come on. Give me room here. Let me out of here. Here we go. Here we go. It's coming. It's coming. Hang in there. Hang in there. Yeah. We have a tradition. To a classic blessing for a bride and groom is that they should merit to build a bayit That's a bracha that we give a married couple. You guys, are you familiar with that? I hope you are. The source, the only source I can find for this expression is in the Edut HaMizrach. That is the Sephardic sitter in a Mishibeirach for a groom. So even though I know a lot of Ashkenazim do, we say, Build a bayit the eman the Israel. So here is the source. I found this in Aish. Listen to what it says. What exactly is a bayit the eman the Israel, a trustworthy house? And where does the expression come from? It comes from Moshe. In the Chumash, we find Moshe being called an Evid Neeman, right? Right? So we use that expression. We say to the bride and groom, you should build a home like the relationship between Hashem and Moshe, which means, what's the blessing, girls? We tell the bride and groom, take your ego and park it at the door. The only time a husband and wife will be able to have shalom bias is when they have humility. When they wake up in the morning and they say, we have a house? Wow! We have children? Wow! We have a marriage? Wow! When we appreciate that and we're humble, that's when there's shalom bites. How are we doing so far? Amazing. I want to take 
a step further with things that we've done, but it's this week's special. One step further. So the way I understand it first was, guys, we might be a little over, like five after, okay? The place when, uh, okay, so what did we just say? That Boneb Bayit Neman Israel is we're blessing the bride and the groom, the husband and wife, to have the relationship with each other like Moshe and Hashem who allowed him to be in his house, correct? One step further. You should remember this question that I ask a lot. Here we go. We know this prayer. We can sing it. Oh, say shalom. Okay, so we say this all the time, right? We say it at the end of Kaddish. We say it at the end of the Amidah. But look at it carefully, okay? I'm going to ask you two questions. Oseh shalom bimromav. May the one, which is Hashem, who creates peace on high, Hashem who makes peace upstairs, marom is upstairs, in Shemayim, who, that power, which is God, Yaaseh Shalom Aleinu Ve'alkol Yisrael. This is one of the most famous prayers that we have, correct? I have two questions. First of all, <laughs> what peace is God making upstairs? Between whom and whom? Yeah, who's he? It says, it says God who makes peace up there. Who's fighting up there? So I don't know. Second of all, no, I have three questions, three questions. Second of all, second question, what's the prayer? We want to say that God should bless us with peace, right? That's the prayer, right? So just say, Hashem, right? What do you have to say this? Hashem who does peace there, well, you have to validate the fact that he has the power to make peace? What do you have to start by saying, right? And the third, girls, I hope you like this question, who makes peace? Me, what God, what does that mean? Whoa, 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 I don't understand. God's, I had a fight with my wife, so God all of a sudden is going to hit my head, and I go, Oh, honey, I'm really sorry. No, it's supposed to come from me. God isn't making me do peace. If you're talking about, listen to me, sweetheart, if you're talking about peace in the world, I got it. God should be the wars, but when it comes to shalom, buy it. There's no, yes, says shalom aleinu, I'll call Israel. Ready. It's a reference, nobody remembers? It's a reference to this week's Parsha. Last part of this week's Parsha. Is, is it about Asian Mayim? Yeah, Jen, she caught you out. She'd be right. At the end of this week's Parsha, there are, this week has seven of the 10 Makot. Okay, seven. The seventh Makot is called? Yeah, seven oh, right. Barad. Okay, look at this. Look at this. There we go. I got it all together. I, no, 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 that's not it, that's not it. Don't look, don't look, don't look. I gotta find the, the uh, what's it called? Where's the hummush? No, don't leave, don't leave me now. Don't leave me now. Okay, here we go. Let's find the hummush, here it is, here it is, here it is, Exodus, yeah, go. Yeah. barad va'esh mitlakachat betolcha barad. Barad was hail. Says the Torah, hail and fire were in the ball, when it came down, right? Says Rashi, mitlakachat betoch habarat. A miracle within a miracle. Rashi's lashon is neis betoch neis. Fire and hail mingled, although the hail is water. Listen to this statement. I have it in Hebrew, but I'll leave it in English. In order to perform the will of their creator, they made peace one with the other. Again, what's God teaching us? You can be fire and water. Fire and water can't 
find peace with each other. They are opposites. But when you have a higher calling, when you have a job to serve Hashem, even fire and water can exist with each mm -hmm. other. Says, this is the Perush I want to say. Are you listening? The bracha of Bayit Ne'eman Yisrael is not only are we telling the couple that you should have the same relationship Hashem had with Moshe. No, you and your husband should have that relationship with Hashem and that will make peace for you. Oseh Shalom Bim Romav, the gods that was able to make peace between fire and water, who Yaseh Shalom, he will make the peace between you and your husband. And let me tell you why. Okay, I need a little, a little bit of validation here. When we get back to the Chesed mission, with God's help, most of the couples, if not all, somebody has to tell me, when they come home from the Chesed mission, they love each other more. Somebody say yes or no. Yes. Yes. Why yes? Jeannie, tell me why yes. You appreciate hey. what you have. Hey, you appreciate what you have? And, okay, I'll do it, Jeannie. When a husband and wife together serve Hashem, there is nothing better to bring them together. Because it's a common purpose. When a husband and wife do chesed together, it's a common purpose. It brings husbands to write poems for their wives. I was just going to say, you get a poem every now and then. No, but guys, please don't lose this lesson. It's a big deal, which means shalom. Yes, God makes the peace because you find common ground that is more important than anything that you have. And again, shalom allows us to appreciate and not to be, not to be, uh, have an ego. And therefore we end with very, very famous thing that I always tell you. I hope you remember. Next time you have to speak in a Sheva Brachot, say this speech, ready? Okay, let me get rid of this. Let me get rid of this. And let's bring that back down. And here it is. Here it is. And therefore, we have something called Sheva Brachas, right? Sheva Brachot means that there are seven brachot. What is the very first bracha other than Borei Priyagefe that we bless? The Chatan Vikala. Here it is. Baruch Hata Hashem Elokeinu Melech Olam Shehakol Bara Lichvodo. Let's see, what, that, what does that mean? Bless you, Hashem, who created all things for your glory. All things for your glory, ladies and gentlemen. Why would that be the first blessing we bless a bride and a groom, right? Why don't we say shalom bias? Why don't we say health? Why don't we say many children? Because the first thing a bride and a groom have to know is they're working for the big man. They're working for God. That's their goal in life. If somebody understands that the goal in life is to build a home, to have children, and to make a be an or lagoyim, if that's your goal, then all those petty differences are nothing. They're stupid. Just be happy that you're doing this job. And that's the biggest blessing for Shalom Bayit. To appreciate the park our thing at the door. And that's when we say, oh, Shalom. Everybody got it? Let me just tell you what I didn't do that I wanted to do. This is not that you're my psychiatrist and I'm giving you therapy, uh, you're giving me therapy. I want to do this topic. And with God's help, the topic is still something we could do. The biggest question that the rabbis ask about these parashiyot is, how 
is it possible that God hardens the hearts of Paro? It, it needs to be spoken about. It's a very important philosophical question because we all know that we have freedom of choice. We all know that we have the chirach of sheet. Did God force Paro not to believe? It's a great question. It's already 206, so I'm not going to do it, but I'm going to fit it in. I prepared it, but I, I enjoyed all the other stuff that I wanted to do. I, I'm going to miss you greatly. And uh, that's just going to be Sefreda and I for the next four weeks. So here we go. But everybody <laughs> should do well. Everybody should have Rufuash Shlema. Everybody okay. should. And, and, and if you are going away, I don't know if you are, if you are going away, please meet Peggy in Israel. She's there already. So you could spend some time <laughs> with her. And uh, everybody should stay healthy and enjoy okay. your families and enjoy your good health.